Welcome to the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself as a Pre-PT on your journey to becoming a future doctor of physical therapy. This episode has been sponsored by our Acceptance Navigator Series, which is a free four-part Pre-PT video series where we teach you exactly how to take full control of your PT school acceptance journey, as well as how to find clarity and direction as a pre-PT so that you can dominate your application regardless of your GPA, GRE score, or fear of PT school rejection. Learn how to get into the driver's seat of your acceptance journey and not leave your acceptance to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. This is the most value that we have given away and it's free. Take control of your pre-PT journey today by going to www.acceptancenavigator.com. That's www.acceptancenavigator.com. This episode has also been sponsored by our friends at ptschoolprobe.com. Listen to this. One of the biggest fatal application mistakes that thousands of PT school applicants make each year when applying to PT school is not applying to schools that are a perfect match for them. Partnering with our friends at PT School Probe has made that a problem of the past. As PT School Probe makes it extremely easy to plug in and enter what you're looking for in your ideal schools, and you will be immediately matched up with your perfect match DPT programs in the United States. To get matched and locked into your perfect DPT school programs, go to www.ptschoolprobe.com, www.ptschoolprobe.com, and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you there. That's PREPTGRIND for your code. This will save you hundreds of dollars in your application by helping you avoid throwing away money at the wrong schools and saving tens of thousands of dollars lost every year that you miss out on becoming a DPT. So go to www.ptschoolprobe, that's ptschoolprobe.com and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you. And that's because we got you covered and we are excited to share this next episode with you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast episode. We look forward to serving you. Have a blast. And welcome to Pre-PT Grind, where we help you become the best Pre-PT applicant and student you can be. My name is Brianna Drapp, and I'm your host for today's faculty highlight interview. I am excited to be on here today because we have the program manager of the University of Kansas Medical Center, Mr. Robert Bagley, as well as admissions director, Dr. Jason Rucker, joining us today to answer a few questions regarding their program. Thank you, Jason and Robert, for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Thanks, Bri. No problem, guys. All right. I'm super hyped to hear all about your program because I don't know too much about it. And I'm sure a lot of our other students who are interested in the program would like to learn a little bit more as well. All right, guys. So let's dive into the first question. In five minutes or less, tell us about what led you to the profession, Jason. And then for you, Robert, tell me how you ended up at Kansas. You know, my, my introduction to PT, um, I think, really kind of started when I, I think I was in seventh grade and I filled out one of the um, kind of career surveys that, that tells you what kind of profession you might be interested in. And mine came back as athletic training, which I didn't, didn't really understand, what, didn't know what that was at the time. But I liked sports and I liked science and I liked medicine, thinking being a doctor might be kind of neat. You know, kind of based on that, I think I got some feedback about, well, maybe you should look into something like physical therapy or occupational therapy or, or those kind of things. And again, you know, kind of combining that interest in, in sports and science and anatomy and that kind of stuff, I kind of eventually kind of was drawn into PT in high school. So went through high school with the idea that I probably wanted to be a PT, uh, stuck with that through my undergraduate, and then wound up at, actually, I'm a graduate of KU Med, so I graduated from this program. During that program, what I kind of learned was I'm actually not a very good sports PT, which is what I thought I wanted to do, but I'm a much better neuro inpatient PT and, and really fell in love with that aspect of, of PT. And, and so that's really, you know, I practiced in the, in the clinic full time for a couple of years in inpatient settings, uh, decided I wanted to get my PhD because I really love teaching and, and wanted to be able to teach. So I came back to KU Med to get my PhD and, and got that. 
and um, just kind of basically had a, a really fortunate transition from being a PhD student to being a GTA to being a faculty member. And you know, it's, it's been great. I, I really enjoy working here. I still get to do a little bit of clinical practice in the ALS clinic. So I still get that clinical piece. I get to teach, which is what I, what I really love to do. Uh, I get to work with students. I get to do research. PT has been a really great profession. It's been a, a really, it's treated me very well. So that, that's kind of how I came to it. I came to Kansas uh, 16 years ago uh, to to uh, be with my wife, who was from Kansas City as well. So uh, I needed a job, and luckily K KU was hiring. I've I've been in my position now for 14 years. I've really enjoyed it. I'm I'm a staff person here, so don't ask me why your knee hurts or anything like that. But yeah, thank thanks for having us, Bree. That's awesome, gentlemen. So into our next question, students put in extra work into bettering certain parts of their application to be the best all around applicant. Since every school values different aspects of the application, what would you say is an aspect of the application that you value most or that catches your attention when seen on an application? So I think for our program, at least by far and away, the kind of the most important part of the application are probably the applicants written responses, their personal statement, and then the responses to the program questions. For, for our reviews, the reviewers are actually blinded to academic performance. So what they, what they see of the applicant, and we don't do interviews, so what you, what you submit in PTCAS is, is what we review. Basically, the reviewers see the, the applicant's experience. They don't see any academic information at all. And so it's really the essays and the responses to the program questions that are really what sway applicants, I would, or excuse me, what sway the reviewers the most. Uh, I was, I mean, when it comes to applying, Brie, um, I always recommend to prospective applicants that, you know, uh, that, that they get great letters of recommendation. Uh, we require three, one of which has to be from a PT. You know, you want somebody to write you a letter that either knows you as a student or can tell us why you'd be an asset to our program or why you'd be an asset to the field of physical therapy. We don't accept letters from family, friends, or politicians. Jason was saying, you know, you got to take advantage of every opportunity to tell us about yourself within the application. Uh, we ask for a lot of stuff and we, we don't do interviews. So, you know, there's plenty of chances for, for applicants to, to tell us about themselves within that application. So since you guys don't do interviews, you probably have multiple essays that you have students write or what do those essays look like? Do you have one that's like, why are you applying to us kind of thing? So we, we, we're actually, in the, we've been in the process of kind of updating our um, application admissions process. So what we do have multiple questions. Um, and so what, what we have are basically questions that are designed to try to get you to tell us about the qualities that we're looking for. So whether that's leadership um, or your engagement in the community or, or things like that. So they're generally relatively short essays. Um, I think we allow about a page per question. And again, they're really aimed to try to elicit can you tell us about these qualities? Because this is what we're looking for in an applicant. We're really trying to guide applicants to, to tell us about themselves and how they, how they would meet those qualities. We're, we're not really trying to make them guess what we're looking for. We're really trying to lead them to tell us, you know, so, so we really can evaluate people based on who they are. That's solid. I've noticed a lot of schools are kind of swaying away from interview processes and looking more at your just whole application and weighing a lot of your letters of rec more heavily, especially since those are what people are saying about you behind your back. Do you guys feel the same way about that? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, like, I, like I mentioned before, we require, I, and one thing I know we're have, potentially have prospective applicants listening to this, PTCAS allows you, I think, to put in five letters of recommendation. We require only three. Just note that if you put in five, that's fine. We just see all five of them, okay? So you better make sure they're all good. But yeah, letters of recommendation definitely have, have always played. We've always looked closely at those, let's put it that way. And I, I would definitely agree. I, I think there is an overall trend in PT education that is moving away from kind of a more academically focused mindset to more of a, a looking at applicants in, in kind of a, a broader view. Certainly increasing the diversity of our of our profession is is obviously something that, that the, our national organization is involved in and something that we're also trying to support. It would be nice if we could interview, I think it would be nice if we could interview applicants, but it costs applicants to travel. It's really burdensome for the program in terms of time and finding people to do the interviews and things like that. And in kind of our distant past, before I was involved in the program, they actually had kind of looked at some admissions data related to interviews versus no interviews and really didn't see it tremendous benefit in doing it in terms of the kind of cost benefit 
ratio. So I think overall, yeah, in, in PT education, there does seem to be a trend looking more at, at kind of applicants more broadly. I've noticed that a lot too with a lot of the schools that I currently am looking at, but that also kind of brings me to my next point. Since you're not having interviews, they can't really see the school during their interviews. So for a student that does come to visit the campus, there's a good chance that they will only see certain parts of the campus or program. What are some of the things that are unique about your program that a student would typically not see on a tour, but rather only a student in the program would see or experience? This could include interprofessional opportunities, research component, or maybe a specific form of teaching such as like PBL. I guess to, to answer the tour question, the tours are handled by myself. You know, email me if you want a tour. And basically they last about an hour. I answer students' questions. Uh, we walk around campus. One thing that's unique about our program is we're here at the Med Center. Uh, so we're attached to the KU Health Systems major hospital here at 39th and Rainbow in Kansas City, Kansas, which allows us to have a, a, a pretty professional feel on campus. With COVID and everything else, that feel has kind of been taken away because there aren't students down here, or, or nearly as many as, as would be under normal situations. You know, it's fast-paced. You're surrounded by other medical per, uh, uh, medical students or medically-minded uh, students. You know, KU's School of Medicine is here. Uh, KU's uh, School of Nursing is here, and um, KU's School of Health Professions, which we're a part of, are all here. So we have very few undergraduate programs offered on campus. Students that excel in our program like the fact that they can uh, treat it as a job somewhat. But once you get into the program, you quickly learn how great our faculty are, like Dr. Rucker and others. I mean, I think a big transition coming from grad school or coming into grad school, uh, we recognize is a big transition. So we have outstanding uh, counseling, educational support services, uh, writing services, that kind of stuff. Some of the things I would add to that are to kind of build on what Robert has said. You've done some, we've done some virtual tours during the, the pandemic. So that's, even if you can't travel, that is, I think that's something that, especially now that we've done it a number of times, that's something that we're, we certainly would be open to. Even, even if you're here on campus, though, I think some of the things that you, you don't get to see are kind of the interactions between the students and classes. So, you know, we, our class size is about 60 and we have, we have I would say, pretty close-knit classes. The, the students really do bond and, and, you know, you're kind of basically living with these people for three years. And so th there's a lot of camaraderie amongst the students. I have to brag, I, I will side with Robert and say, I think our faculty are pretty awesome. We have overall a really good relationship with our students. You know, we're, it's certainly not adversarial, right? Like we, we're cheering for all our students to be successful and doing everything we can to make them successful. So, you know, we're, we're all as a faculty in their corner trying to, to do what we can to, to train people to do what, what is a pretty difficult job in some cases. So I, you know, I don't think that's something that you can see on a tour. Some of the other stuff, you get to see the building. So we have um, a really nice health education building that's just a couple of years old. On a tour, whether it's virtual or in person, you get to see the health education building. I don't think you really get to see how it's used and what happens. Uh, we have a super nice simulation center, the Zamorowski Institute for Experiential Learning, or ZEAL. And, you know, it's one thing to see a hospital room set up for simulation. Uh, it's another to actually, like, see what that looks like in real life. And, to, and you know, our students get to participate in, in that kind of stuff. You get to see the rooms, you get to see the space, but I don't think you really get to see kind of what is happening on a day-to-day -day basis and, and kind of what the relationships look like between the students themselves and the students and the faculty and then the interprofessional opportunities and and things like that there there are a lot our students are taking classes with occupational therapy students they're taking classes i believe with student nurse anesthetists masters in athletic training students so th there are a lot of opportunities to interact with i mean really all the professions you would work with in in, a, in a, any setting hospital outpatient rehab now, do you guys offer any sort of information sessions that students can attend where there's also current students in the program that can kind of talk to their experiences? No. Uh, I, you know, certainly that can be arranged, but typically I like to do tours or information sessions as much as possible one-on-one -on -one, um, as opposed to in a group setting because my main goal is to make sure that these prospective applicants have all their questions answered, um, oftentimes in group settings. Uh, students can be a little gun shy and asking the questions that they really want answers to. If a prospective applicant does reach out to me and, you know, insists on speaking with the student or requests speaking with the student, I will, you know, contact a student, uh, give them their email. Typically, typically our students are very receptive to that. They just prefer being communicated with via email, at least initially, because our, our students are busy as well. 
I will say recently, I can't remember if it was this last cycle or the cycle before, we did start doing basically a webinar, uh, a live stream webinar where we um, kind of just discussed our application process and uh, tried to provide kind of, I say we, really Robert did this, I, I just kind of listened in, um, but provide, you know, just tips and suggestions on the application process and, you know, the nuts and bolts, deadlines, things that we look for in the applications. So, you know, I think, again, COVID has changed a lot about how, how we're doing things and we're still trying to, to figure some of this out. So I, I would say probably there's going to be more of that as, as it's just kind of more expected that that kind of information is, is out there. I suspect probably we're going to be doing more of that as, as things move on. And, and we're always willing to talk to prospective applicants again, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with Robert. Um, we can certainly put people in touch with students that are in the program. We're, we're, we're open to doing those kind of things. It's not like every Friday is a day. You know, typically what will happen is, is when the application cycle opens in PTCAS and there are a number of applicants that are in progress, right? I know that those students are interested. So then that's when we'll typically do kind of an en masse type thing of, hey, it looks like you're interested in our program. Here's a link to Zoom or Teams or whatever. Typically not on a weekly like open house type thing. No, I was just wondering, because I know as a prospective student, I like to see how is this, how are the students interacting with the faculty? And since obviously you can't really get that on a tour, it's kind of nice when you come into a session and these students are in here, they're like, yo, what's up, Mary? How's it going? There's like, hey, man, did you see the game? Like, they're like chill with each other. It's like you can see that mutual respect and you can see that the faculty and I'm assuming your faculty, because you guys are speaking very highly of them, is the way that I'm kind of describing where they're there for them, they care about them, they view them as their future colleague rather than they're exuding some sort of power trip over them, which obviously they're not. Absolutely, I, I, I would agree with that characterization of our faculty. I don't make anybody call me Dr. Rucker. You know, I, I don't think it's that important where these students will be my colleagues in, in two or three years when, when they finish. So yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I think as a faculty, we're, Compared to a lot of places I work, we're really low drama and low stress. And and I mean, PT school inherently is stressful, so I don't I don't intend to say that it's not stressful. But we don't go out of our way to make it more stressful. We're we're, we're again we're on our student side. We we want everybody that enters this program to be successful at the end of it. We have open door policy, you know, on our, our on our in our offices an open door policy. Faculty are great about meeting with students before or after class or by appointment. So yeah, we do a great job, I think, of treating our students as adults as well. Well, with that being said, with how your faculty is always there for your students, what other resources do you guys offer to students who are there for the next three years to help them succeed, such as any sort of tutoring, mentoring other students, or even faculty mentors? It sounds like you guys probably have a little bit of that going on. We do. So some of that happens informally. We do have kind of a, of a formal like big SIB, little SIB program that, that the, the students kind of self-direct. Um, so every incoming student gets paired up with a, with a more senior student. Um, we do have what we term faculty liaisons, which are essentially the same as faculty mentors. I will say students aren't really, it's not like you're required just to talk to your mentor, right? Like if you kind of make a connection with, with one of the other professors, you can make that professor your mentor, basically. So, so it's not as though we, we shoehorn everybody into being like, you can only be mentored by this faculty member. So we, 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 I think we provide a lot of flexibility in that way. Uh, but students are designated with a faculty liaison, and part of our program is as they go through their integrated clinical experiences, they're writing reflections, um, and those are being communicated to their their liaison and, and being read, and, and you know that kind of stuff. We have that within our department. Um, as part of our larger school, we have an office of student life that offers legal services. They do wellness programs like cultural wellness, emotional wellness, physical wellness. They run a food pantry. Uh, we have a really good counseling and education services department that does it's like a study par partner match. Uh, they run a writing center, we have educational support services and like support groups that go. So we, I mean, we do have a lot of those services. And I think as faculty uh, and staff, we, we try to encourage students to use the, the services that they need to use. I think one of the things that we do as a program to, to really help students learn how to how to be PTs is we have a pretty robust integrated clinical experiences program that starts in the second semester. So we, instead of just kind of throwing students into the clinic full time right away, we, we kind of break them in a little bit more slowly in kind of a lower stakes setting. So every student during the, the first half 
or second half of the of their second semester will go out to one of our partnering institutions and and they spend four hours it's not a shadowing experience so they they get to have their hands on but it's really a chance just to go out and be in a pt setting whether it's outpatient whether it's inpatient skilled we have we have a pro bono clinic j start here that that students go to really just to start to learn how to be a professional pt and, and kind of have those interactions with patients and other professionals and not feel like they have to be the PT on day one and, and really here's an eight hour day, go be a PT. That's asking a lot right away. And so we, you know, we, we kind of build on those across the first two years. And then the third year of the program is actually all full-time clinical experiences. Just for reference to help all these students out that are listening, what is the deadline to your program? And are you guys on rolling admissions or do you guys just look at all of them at the end? <laughs> So um, we, we are on a rolling admissions basis. So we have a couple of soft, kind of tentatively soft deadlines. And then our hard deadline is... It's November 1st November of 1st. every year. So you have to make sure that you submit, e-submit your application. Keep in mind, for those Kansas people in Central Standard Time, the PTCAS works on Eastern Time. So midnight is really 11. So we do have a rolling admissions, and basically the way that the way, the way that our process kind of works is, we we kind of have three admissions meetings, and so we we take all the applicants that we've applications we've received up until you know within the first couple months, and we discuss those and we issue decisions, and we we have another meeting about a month or two later in October, and again we discuss everybody that's been applied, all the applicants in that pool. And then we have kind of a, a large final decision meeting that happens um, usually in early January before classes start. And that's kind of when we finalize everything. But we are making decisions all the way through that process. So applications are being viewed and decisions are being issued kind of at finite time points that vary a little bit depending on when meetings can get scheduled and things like that. But as, as a general rule, we kind of divide the cycle into, into kind of thirds. And so we're kind of reviewing applications and issuing decisions based on each of those kind of buckets uh, within each third of the of the cycle. One thing to keep in mind, though, is, is that we do follow the ACAPT application traffic rules to where even if you are offered a spot in that first round that Jason mentioned, you're still not going to have to pay us our seat deposit until January 15th of 2022. You know, congratulations if you're one of those first round people. Feel free if you know you want to come to send your deposit in. Just note that you don't have to do that until January 15th, 2022 for this upcoming application cycle. Our objective is to capture as many highly qualified applicants as we can that want to come to our program. We'll never have more offers out than we have seats left. That's one nice thing about PTCAS is, is you know, we can use deadlines and emails and that kind of thing. If you do apply by our deadline, we will have seats available. I don't typically like to say how many seats are outstanding because I don't really know till we receive the deposit somewhat of an idea as who's really coming. And then even after the deposit's paid, I still don't know if they're really going to come basically until the day before classes start. So November 1st is the deadline. Yep. Correct. So for students who are being responsible and submitting it early, and not at 12 p.m. Central Time on the first. Oh, 11, yes, 11 p.m. Central Time. Oh, 11 p.m. Central Time. Yep. No, I was going to ask, when can students expect a decision or what is the timeline of a decision for students applying? Sure. So, you know, the, the date will vary to some degree. Again, we kind of divide the cycle into thirds. The first decision meeting is usually held, I think, in, in like September. And so we typically have our first decisions kind of going out, I want to say, in, in kind of mid-September. Our second round of decisions tend to come out, I think, in later October. Uh, and then that final round, when we finalize our class and kind of issue our, our last decisions, comes out in uh, early January, mid-January, probably. Yeah. I, I always say by the end of January 2022 for this application cycle. For students that maybe are not as familiar, you kind of mentioned some students may not be familiar with rolling admissions. For, for students that are not, one thing I would, I would say, I don't necessarily want to say you have a huge advantage by applying early, uh, but there are more seats available. And you're typically competing against a smaller application pool at that point. You know, again, maybe not a, it isn't as though you're guaranteed a slot if you apply early, but there 
potentially are some advantages to getting your application in earlier rather than later. We're going to review it no matter what. As long as you submit by the deadline, it's going to be reviewed. We're going to give you a fair consideration. But if you're submitting at the end, we will have already filled some seats. And so, you know, you're, you're, and you're competing against more applicants by that time. So apply early if you can. Encourage early that. with a thoroughly complete application that yes. has been looked over and edited multiple times. <laughs> yes, I would not encourage anyone to apply early at the expense of putting in a good application. You definitely want to put in a good application, the best application, even if yep. that takes a little bit longer. You got to get your application verified in PTCAS. Mm -hmm. That's the first step. And that's really all PTCAS cares about, right? Because the letters of recommendation, your observation hours, everything else is kind of automated to get into your application. But somebody's actually verifying your application or your, your grades, transcripts. Get your application verified. Once it's verified, get an email from me saying, hey, Bree, or whomever, you really want us to review your application. Click this link and pay us $75. You click the link, you, you complete the required fields and, and then you pay us. Then once we get that, then I'll let you know if your application is complete if, or if it's not complete. Once it is complete, I'll say, hey, you know, it's complete. It's begun being reviewed. So, so email is going to be your best friend. That's your supplemental application fee? Yeah, that, yeah, that's it. You don't need to send us transcripts. You don't need to send us letters of recommendation or anything like that because all that's in PTCAS. Mm -hmm. What the supplemental application does is just create your KUMC application account in our system and allows us to, to recover the $75 application. I'm sure that's good for people interested to know about that there's another application fee there. Yeah, yeah, it's expensive, but. Oh yeah, that's why I'm, a, I'm trying to do it right the first time, so only gotta do it once. Do it, do it, yep. Alrighty, so for, for many students who are coming right from their undergraduate degree to a graduate degree, while other students might be non-traditional and they've done something else, whether it be another job, another career path, or even they went and did a different degree or something like that. Regardless of the case, everybody may experience some sort of like first day jitters. What can students expect on their first week of classes in your program or even the first day? Sure. I would, I mean, having gone through PT school, I would say you're crazy if you're not a little bit nervous on, on kind of going into PT school. It is, it, it is a pretty big deal. It, it's pretty intimidating. So, you know, we do, we do try to make students as comfortable as we can. We're never going to get rid of first day jitters. It, it, Nothing we can do will ever make that go away. That's just part of going to PT school. But we do what we, so we do offer a, an in-person orientation for everybody. It's a half-day orientation. They get to meet one another. They get to meet not all the faculty, but some of the faculty. We introduce them to the resources that are on campus. And a lot of those folks will come in and talk to them. So that first half day, we really try to start getting them up to speed. It's not as though they haven't received information from us prior to that. But this is really their chance to be on campus, in a classroom, with each other, with the program chair or our, our department chair, our program kind of uh, director telling them kind of, here's, here's the program, here's how it's going to go. So that, that's kind of that, that first half day. After that, they start with uh, our human anatomy class, which is a pretty big class. So that's basically the, the next day is, is pretty much made up of that. But a lot of the lab assistants for that anatomy course are actually our students, our, our second and third year PT students. So again, there's, you know, there's, there are people there to, to kind of soften it up a little bit and, and help kind of guide students through. Obviously, anatomy is, for some students, is a, a pretty intimidating class. Again, it's a, it's, a, it's a major class and it's a lot of work and there are cadavers involved. And, and I know for some students, that's, that's a little bit freaky. And so, you know, we, we do try to make sure that they're comfortable with that. And we have our students in the labs and, and that kind of stuff. So that's, that's the, really the first day of class. After that, they, they started what we call applied anatomy, where they start to learn basic PT skills like palpation and goniometry. So that's really kind of their first PT actual class. And then they, there's also a pace, like an online medical imaging course. It, we're pretty flexible with that. It, it's online and, and it, to a certain extent, it's self-paced. So kind of within that first week, that that's kind of what they're looking at. It does, it's, it's, we start in the summer and it is a it's summer semesters are always pretty fast paced. We do what we can to get students as, as comfortable as, as we can, as soon as we can, and, and really try to give them the information they need. And then it's not as though after that first week, we just vanish and they're on their own. We, we, we continue to be in touch with them and, and try to help them get through their classes, help make sure they're comfortable and, and getting adjusted and, and kind of learning the campus and that kind of stuff, really, as long as they're here. 
and, and then prior to the first day, or I think the question was about the first week of class, even prior to that. So, you know, we, we fill our class typically, you know, by April. We have an, a welcome event. Last year it was online, of course, or through Zoom due to COVID, but that in-person open house incoming student event is typically in, a, in April on campus. So students can get to know one another there and get to know kind of campus that we do tours and that kind of thing. And then, yeah, the mandatory departmental orientation is always the Tuesday after Memorial Day. So for our program, it's important to note that, that we start about a week earlier than a normal summer start date. That's because of the advanced topics in human anatomy class, the cadaver lab that is taught by our med, same instructors that our med students have. So they like to start our students, nurse anesthesia students, and our master's in athletic training students early so that they finish early so they can prep for the med students in the fall. So there is a quick turnaround for, for an undergrad. You know, they typically graduate the middle of May, start our program end of May, 1st of June. So there's two weeks there where you, a lot of them have to move to Kansas City and, and, then start, and then start our program. So we're all cognizant of that as well. That's a quick turnaround. It is. It's very, it's very quick. Especially for those coming straight out of undergrad. Now for, yeah. now for someone who's been, you know, doing their thing for a little bit like me, I'm like, yeah, let's get in May, let's go. Well, it's interesting because in talking to students, I mean, historically, they like the quick turnaround because their brain doesn't get a chance to kind of check out or, or take a break academically because that first summer semester is difficult in our program with the advanced topics in human anatomy class. Keep in mind now, guys, that, that you will get that week back at the end of the semester. So you'll have about a month off from the end of the summer to the start of the fall. So it's a quick turnaround at first, which students like because their brain's still working. And then they get, they get a month long break before starting back in the fall. So hang in there. And you were talking about that you have the medical imaging course that you teach students as well, correct? Correct, yep. I like that because I feel like there's so many times where you're going through a textbook or whatever and they're like, yeah, look at, look at this, whatever it is. And I'm like, where, <laughs> like, I forget what the last, it was like, look at this chondrosarcoma. And I'm like, where, I feel like it's right there. I'm like, where? <laughs> so I feel like, I don't know. I feel like that would help, especially as you get into some of those like pathological diseases yeah. and stuff, looking at MRIs and whatnot, because. Yeah. Well, and those, you know, those are the classes that kind of, so that that first, that first semester, that summer semester is anatomy, uh, applied anatomy, which is basic PT skills, and then that medical imaging. And so by the time in the second semester, we start talking about musculoskeletal injuries and fractures and things like that, you've had an imaging class. So you've had, you may not be familiar with all that stuff, but you've probably seen a picture of it at some point or seen a picture that is somewhat similar to it. So, you know, I think that puts students in a pretty good place when they start coming into the actual PT, like, you know, here, here is the hard PT stuff. Here's the, these different conditions and the treatment planning and, and kind of the, the things you need to be aware of. They've at least had some familiarity with that and, and aren't necessarily starting from zero. I wish I had that. <laughs> because <laughs> there were so many times it was and even like a simple ACL tear I'm like it doesn't look right but I don't know what it is <laughs> I don't know my my friend he's like look here's here's a picture here's a copy of my MRI from when he tore his MCL and ACL and I'm like it doesn't look right but I don't know what's wrong he's like come on you should know this <laughs> I'm like no I don't you're, you're in pharmacy school. Maybe you know it. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Anyways, so we know there's a lot of pre-PTs out there that might have had a rough start to their journey, whether it be they have lower grades or find themselves in a situation where they decide to lock in on PT later in life. Maybe they've gone somewhere else and done another career and then come back and realize, nope, PT is what I want. So at Pre-PT Grind, our mission is to help push and guide students to take the correct course of action that will ultimately allow them to get into PT school and become a physical therapist. For a student who might have a lower GPA or even like a lower GRE score who wants to get into PT school, what advice do you recommend to these students? Sure. So, you know, I think the first thing that I would say to, to those students that maybe have lower GPAs or have, have kind of had a, an interesting or, or maybe a, a more challenging path to get to where they are. I think the first thing I would say is be confident and don't undervalue yourself just because your grades are not 4.0. Uh, 
Um, I think that's really important. Sometimes that, even though even though maybe it's not intended, it sometimes comes across in the application. I don't think there's any any need for that. You know, again, our our reviewers when when we review applications are blinded to academic performance, so they actually don't know what your academic numbers are. And so as as we go through the reviews, when we when we have our decision meetings, that does open up, and we get to we review applicants in, in the context of their academic performance and the reviewer scores and those kind of things. But Certainly, we we review. If your application is complete, it's going to be reviewed by somebody. Even if I mean, we we have minimum standards and and we have those for a reason. But I have petitioned the graduate school that to allow students to come in because they have extenuating circumstances, and we've been successful at that. So you know, we we are not just and maybe I'm just speaking for our program, but we are not just going to look at your grades, and we're not going to disqualify really anyone just because their grades aren't strong. You know, again, I, I would say don't undervalue yourself just on the basis of your grades. That's just one piece of the application. I think the other thing that I would say is if you don't, you know, if, if you know your academic performance is, is not going to carry you or is not as strong as you would like it to be, that's a really good reason to spend a lot of time on the other parts of your application. So really, Look at that personal statement and and your answers to the program questions and have other people read them and get feedback on those and revise them and you know don't write it and submit it really make sure it's telling us who you are and how you got where you are because if you can sell yourself to a reviewer who doesn't know your academic performance when we get together and meet in our decision meeting even if your academic performance is not great and you've convinced that reviewer that that we should let you in they're going to advocate on your behalf and, and again, we will, we will admit students whether or not their academic performance is great if they can convince us that they're going to be a great PT. And to Jason's point, you know, when, when you're filling out your application, if you feel your GPA is weak, highlight community service, scholarships and awards, clubs and organizations, research. If you've been active in KU Med, we are a research institution. We value research. You need to get our eyes, admissions committee's eyes, looking at other things, at your strengths, as opposed to what your perceived weakness is. I get this question a lot from career changers or, or uh, non-traditional students, if you will. They're super excited to apply to our program. They may have a lot of outstanding prerequisites, however, because they came from business or English or art or interior design or you name it. And a lot of our prerequisite courses are science-based. It's been a while since they've been in the classroom. They go and they enroll in 10, 12 credit hours from the start, uh, you know, at a, John, at a junior college or community college or someplace like that. And they bomb one of those classes because it's a chemistry class that has a lab and they have a family and they have work. And it's been a while since they've been in the classroom. So they don't do well in it. And then they essentially have to retake a class that they're having to retake. So my best suggestion is to take it slow. Don't take too many classes at one time. Our program isn't going anywhere. Uh, you may be really excited. I hate for them to not do well in a class that they're paying money for, right? That's, that's my best advice when, when I get those types of questions. That, that's typically my responses is to take it slow. Our program isn't going anywhere. And also new this application, <clears throat> new this application cycle, we no longer require the GRE those applicants out there, you don't need to take the GRE for our program. I think one thing that I would add, just highlight in, in what Robert has said is you kind of mentioned, make sure that you are including all of your experiences. And I, I actually see that fairly frequently in applications where I'll read a letter of reference that'll talk about this applicant has done this really impressive, you know, volunteer experience, or they, they have this leadership skill, but it's not listed anywhere else, or, or there's no information about it anywhere else in the, in the application at all. And I, I always think that's interesting. So, you know, if you did something that is, has a leadership component, even if it's not PT related, include it. I mean, again, the application is your chance to tell us about you and, and kind of what makes you unique and what's going to make you a good PT. And so don't feel like you can only include stuff that's specifically PT. You know, if, if you've done stuff that shows that you can be a leader and that you're responsible and that you are involved in your community and you care about people. Those are things that we value as a program. And so, you know, include that stuff, don't put it in your application. And then if somebody writes a letter of reference and highlights it so much, the better, but don't, don't leave it up to your reviewers to talk about, to talk about that stuff. You, this is, this is the chance for you to brag a little bit. I agree with all of that. I know one of the things I was struggling with 
just for example, so a couple of weeks ago, like I lifeguarded for six years. And I was like, that's not PT related, but I want to showcase that I was head lifeguard and I was managing other people and working with them, communication skills, customer service with all these people screaming at you, like absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> people absolutely. yelling at you after you save your kid. Absolutely. I mean, you, you're those welcome. Are, those are all skills that you're going to need to have as a PT. I mean, you have to be able to relate to people. You have to be able to demonstrate leadership qualities. And, you know, we only know it if you tell us. So, yeah. you know, don't, don't, don't hope that, a, that one of your people writing a letter is going to sneak something in there. Put it in there yourself. I mean, really, we don't, we don't get mad because there's too much information in an application. We don't, we don't look down on that. Even if you're not sure and you feel like maybe list it, it's not going to hurt you. At least, I, again, I, I speak for our program, but with us, it's not going to hurt you at all. Brag about yourself. Absolutely. This is your chance. Uh, you know, our reviewers, I think by far we have the most fair review process of any program I've heard of. You know, as far as each application being reviewed by two separate reviewers, being blinded by academic performance, finalizing decisions in a group, giving those, if there is discrepant scores, uh, one reviewer rates it really applicant really high and the other another the other reviewer rates them low gives a chance for those two reviewers to hash out what each saw or didn't see in that applicant really tried to uh, get down to the bare bones of really what it takes to be what we view successful in our program right that's the first thing we're not going to be doing anybody any any favors by accepting somebody that we don't think is going to be able to survive our program right because it's expensive so that's the first thing and then the second thing is, you know, we evaluate them to see if they have the soft skills to be an actual like great PT because I've never asked my primary care physician what his GPA was in med school. Maybe I should, but I never have. I just know that he's a nice guy. He cares about me and he makes me feel better. And I trust the system, right? I trust St. Luke's and the certification boards and that thing that he knows his stuff. I trust those people, but it's the soft skills that I really care about as far as in my providers. Got to show us you have both in the application. And our, our reviewers see, you know, we do get in a lot of applicants that their first year is not so good. And then they slowly improve. We note that as well. So don't leave a spot blank. I can't think of any of the employers around here that would really care about your GPA on a resume once you graduate from PT school. If you can pass a board exam, you're smart. If you got into PT school, number one, you're smart. If you can pass a board exam, you're definitely smart. You know, they're, they're looking for whether you fit in with their team and, and whether they can, they can train you in the specific skills you need to practice in that setting. They're really looking for whether you fit into the team and are going to be a good addition to the group that they have. They're not worried about your GPA. We uh, do a great job from the very start of the program telling our students that the competition's over. They, co they competed in high school to get into college. They competed in, you know, in undergrad to get into our program. Now they're here. They're all in the same boat you know, let's get through this together. We don't have valedictorians or anything like that. We do offer some scholarships and awards that are kind of GPA based within our program. That's about it as far as GPA goes. Just get above that 600 mark on the board. Right. Yep. So my last question is, what is one piece of advice that you would offer any applicant during their entire pre-PT journey? I guess hang in there. I mean, I, you know, having been through, having been an applicant before and having gone through PT school and, and started a career in PT, it is not easy. And I, you know, I, I look back on kind of my experience and I don't know if I would get into PT school now. I don't. It is, it is a really competitive field out there and it is, it's not easy. The application is not easy. Process is not easy. The training is not easy, but it, it's a great profession and it's, if, it's, if you know it's what you want to do, it's worth hanging in there and being persistent and really sticking with it. And again, that's, you know, that's something that we, we look for in, in our applicants sometimes is, is that they are persistent and sometimes that, that can really pay off. So I think you know, the biggest advice I would have is just hang in there. And, and if you know PT is what you want to do, keep at it and, and hopefully, hopefully you can get in and, and get there because it is a really good profession to work in. Depending where they are on their journey. Ever since I started the job here, the previous DPT program director has always hammered home, and, and Jason still does, observe, observe a PT. Uh, I know it's difficult in, in COVID times, but hopefully we'll be out of this soon. Try to get in and observe PTs in every type of setting. I would recommend that to an accounting major. You know, observe a profession professional in what you think you want to be. 
um, because it is going to take time. It's going to take money, a lot of effort, you know, to, to get into any DPT program. So you better make sure it's what you want to do. And then I, I recommend four things. And it's taken me 14 years to come up with these four things. So Brianna, I hope you're ready. Number one, when it comes to our program, you just got to apply. I can't tell you exactly what it takes to get in because of the holistic admissions that we do. The fact that we, you know, don't do interviews, we don't have the GRE, the average cumulative undergraduate GPA of a historically accepted applicants between 3.5 and 3.8. That's an average. So we've accepted applicants below a 3.5 and not accepted those with 4.0s. So you just got to apply. We typically receive 375 to 450 applications a year. Class size is 60. So it's competitive. Uh, number two, you got to get great letters of recommendation. We require three. One of them has to be from a PT. All three can be from PTs if you'd like, but you want somebody to write you a letter that either knows you as a student or can tell us why you'd be an asset to our program, why you'd be an asset to the field of physical therapy. Number three, take advantage of every opportunity to tell us about yourself within the PTCAS application because we don't conduct interviews, as we mentioned earlier in this interview. And number four, you got to be prepared to apply to any program that you'd be willing to go to because it's competitive everywhere. Our program is consistently ranked in the top 10 among public universities, the top 20 nationally, public and private. I'm not saying you need to apply to 30 schools or anything like that, but really do take a, a, a hard look at programs you'd be willing to go to if you were accepted. Hopefully you get accepted all of them. And so that that's my best advice. Those are definitely four rules to live by. And definitely at any point in your application, you can look into them. And I would also like to harp on, please observe somebody yeah. in PT, because it's so important to see the bad side of PT as well, because, and there's bad parts to every profession. I mean, I'm just saying bad parts in quotes, as in, it's absolutely awful when you have to deny patient services because their insurance companies being stupid and won't let you, them get the services they need. You got to be able to look at the profession without the rose colored glasses so you can see the bad parts. Yeah. But then also you have to know that even with those bad parts, this is still what I want to do because I want to help change those bad parts and I want to be the good parts in the profession. Can't go in just doe-eyed, like it's all happy rainbows. Nope, there's some bad things that are going on, but you gotta be aware of it. So then you can tackle the problem head on and knowing what's going on from all sides. So that's my two cents. To yeah, finish. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, you know, I think you have to know what the profession entails, right? I mm -hmm. mean, it, I don't know if it's common, but there is a perception of what PT is. And a lot of that involves sports PT and treating athletes and athletic injuries. And that is, part of PT, but that's only one part. When I started school, I had no idea that PT did wound care. That was totally news to me. Turns out I kind of like it and it's okay, but I mean, you know, I, I wish I'd have known that going in because that was, that was a little bit of a shock to me. So yeah, definitely go out and, and observe and get an idea of what PT is as a profession and as a field, not just looking at the type of PT that you think you want to do. Because again, you know, I thought I wanted to be a sports PT and I'm not good at it, but I'm, I like to think I'm a halfway decent neuro PT. Uh, and that really has, has turned into a great career for me. And that, that's not what I went into PT school thinking I was going to do. Well, that's the good thing about, you know, the APTA and requiring us to train and educate our students to be generalists and give them exposure. Cause it will have, you know, in every type of setting and every, almost every type of patient, because Jason will agree. So many times we'll see in an application, somebody identify that they want to be an outpatient PT all throughout in their essays, all their observations, all their letters of record from outpatient PTs, everything is outpatient. And then they go out and they do their first integrated clinical experience in an inpatient setting and they fall in love with inpatient. And, you know, conversely, you have people say they want to be inpatient, 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 then they do an outpatient setting. So, you know, we don't require a set amount of observation hours. Uh, we require that an applicant have, you know, an understanding of the role of PT in the healthcare profession or healthcare world. So when you're filling out your application, list all your observation hours and get them verified if you're applying to programs that require those to be verified. We don't look for a certain amount of number or anything like that uh, or certain types of settings, but it would behoove you individually to get as many settings as you can.
I agree with that too. I was that person who was, who was like, I'm going to do outpatient. And then I got into like the neuro and the cardio palm stuff. And I was like, Ooh, I like my complicated people that can barely move. <laughs> I was, and then I've been shadowing home health and I'm just like, I love this. This is fun. Yep. But not saying I don't love all my knee replacement ladies. They are so nice and they'll give me vegetables from their gardens. So oh. I'm all about it. But that wraps up all of my questions. I just want to thank both of you for chatting with me. And do you have any questions? No, thank you for have, giving us the opportunity to talk and, and having us on. It's, uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, well, it was great talking with you too. What's up, guys? It's Casey, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pre-PT Grind podcast. Now, this episode was sponsored by the Acceptance Navigator series, which is a free four-part Pre-PT video series where we teach you exactly how to take full control of your PT school acceptance journey, as well as how to find clarity and direction as a pre-PT so that you can dominate your application regardless of your GPA, GRE score, or your dreaded fear of rejection. So learn how to take the driver's seat, the driver's seat of your acceptance journey and to not leave your acceptance just up to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. Like this is the most value we've ever given away and it's free. And it's free, so take full control of your pre-PT journey today by going to www.acceptancenavigator.com. www.acceptancenavigator.com. This episode was also brought to you by our friends at ptschoolprobe.com. That's ptschoolprobe.com. Now, one of the biggest fatal application mistakes that thousands of PT school applicants make each year is when applying to PT school without even, like, having the right match for you as an applicant. So partnering up with our friends at PT School Probe has made this problem a thing of the past. PT School Probe makes it extremely easy to like just you plug in what you want, you click this, you click that, and boom, it spits out exactly what you're looking for in a school, whether it's cost, location, clinicals, this and that. You put it in, you do, 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 and that's it. That's it. It spits out exactly what you're looking for. No more stress, no more searching, no more anxiety. Put in what you want and bam, the right matches for you and what you're looking for pop up just like that. So to get matched and locked into your perfect DPT school program, go to ptschoolprobe.com. That's www.ptschoolprobe, like P-R-O-B-E.com, ptschoolprobe.com and use our code PREPTGRIND in all lowercase to get a discount and let them know that your good friends at FreePT Grind sent you on over. Like this will save you hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars by making sure that you apply to the right schools. So again, ptschoolprobe.com. That's www.ptschoolprobe.com and use our code FreePTGrind in all lowercase. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next one.